Welcome to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen. Who is Lydia Lovelace is the latest rock documentary from New Haven filmmaker Gorman Bouchard. It tells the story of a young, up-and-coming uh, rock country musician named Lydia Lovelace uh, and kind of gives a behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to live and work as an aspiring full-time musician in early 21st century America. Uh, Gorman is a filmmaker who you should, any, probably anyone listening to the show is already familiar with, but in case uh, you you need a reintroduction, Gorman is the co-founder and co-organizer of the New Haven Documentary Film Festival, a filmmaker who's been working in the greater New Haven area and Connecticut for uh, decades now, going back to the, the mid-1980s, directors of movies like Psychos in Love in the first part of his career, and most recently, some heralded rock documentaries like Color Me Obsessed, Every Everything, and movies about animal rights, like a dog, a dog named Gucci, a dog yes, called Gucci, a dog named Gucci, a dog named yep. Gucci, perfect, and uh, and and many more movies besides. Um, we're going to focus on who is Lydia Lovelace today, but if you want to hear, uh, and also a, a very early movie called Disconnected uh, by Gorman, that's that's going to be coming out on Black Friday, uh, which is when this episode will drop. So thank you for joining us. Uh, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, so we're going to focus on those two movies today, but if you want to hear Gorman talk about his career more broadly, uh, he came on back in January of 2016. It's been uh, just about two years now on episode 20 of the show to talk a bit about his uh, replacements movies, uh, the uh, Every Everything, and and many more besides. But Gorman, it's a pleasure to have you back. Oh, thank you Welcome very much to the for show. having me. Thank you. So uh, back in, in January of 2016, uh, you were preparing to screen Who is Lydia Lovelace at the Big Sky Documentary Film Festival, Absolutely, I believe, yes. at uh, of Montana. And you were raising money for post-production. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you, you spoke a bit about the origin of this project, and you said it all kind of came down to after you finished every everything, you were looking for a next subject for a rock documentary. And you wrote a Facebook post in, I believe, some sometime in the spring of 2014 about how you could not find any worthwhile rock musicians. You, you have a good <laughs> memory. Yes. I, I was listening to the show uh, <laughs> earlier this morning. I'm afraid I haven't read the post, but I wonder if you could pick up there for listeners who are not obsessively listening to episode 20 and tell us about, you know, who is Lydia Lovelace and how'd you come to her? Yeah, I, I was just complaining uh, that spring that I hadn't really heard many great albums. The only album that I had loved was the Angel Olsen album, which actually came out the day I left for Big Sky that year for the Grant Hart documentary. What I didn't realize was also on that day, the Lydia Lovelace album was uh, released. I did not know who Lydia Lovelace was. And a friend of mine, Aggie, uh, a photographer in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, uh, she said, she wrote on the post that my favorite under the radar record of this year was Lydia Lovelace's Somewhere Else. And Aggie has really good taste in music. I picked it up and that pretty much changed everything. And I remember you said that you had seen her four times over the course of 2014 or you you were a repeat uh, visitor. Yes. And you said that each show was different from the last. And that's kind of what you look for in your rock musician. So I know to take me to, to your uh, kind of musical experience with Lydia. That's just it. I mean, I, to me, rock and roll should be chaotic rock and roll. We should never know what to expect from rock and roll. I hate when you see a band two days in a row and they play basically the same set and they say exactly the same thing with Lydia you never know what's going to happen. And especially now, I remember now I went on the road with her as uh, I'm filming the film and just like night after night after night. And we're talking, you know, seven hours away. She could have very well done the exact same thing. No one would have ever known, you know, from Fargo down to, you know, Omaha, Nebraska. However, it's always different. It's always a little chaotic. You never, you know, it's like, it's, it could completely depend on what mood she's in as to what songs they're playing, how much they've all been drinking, whatever. It's just, it's it's 
real rock and roll. It's wonderfully chaotic and it's just, but it's always perfect. So, so this movie is um, a little under two hours long and it takes us on a trip through a number of different tour stops in, uh, is it 2015 that you were recording her? We 2014? Were, we were on the road with her in uh, August of, July or August of 2015. Yeah. And she can't be older than 25 years old at the time, in, maybe even that, a little yeah, bit younger. Yeah, she turned 27 this year, so she's 24 at that time. Yeah. And and they're also, they're traveling through the Midwest. I mean, these are shows mm-hmm. in kind of small dive bars in Ohio, uh, maybe Minnesota, maybe represented St. Paul, Minnesota, uh, Fargo, Omaha, places like that, yeah. And you intercut concert footage uh, with kind of talking to the camera interviews with Lydia and with each of her bandmates who are all uh, quite a bit older than her, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe five to 15 years older. Uh, at least they're all in their 40s, I believe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and and what I mean, getting to your point about how the set list was different each night, we get quite a an explicit kind of coherent explanation from her about why that is, and it's to keep the shows lively for her and mm-hmm. for her bandmates, right? And that's I think such an interesting tension that comes up over and over again in Who Is Lydia Loveless, which is kind of who are you making the music for? Um, is it for you? Uh, is it for the kind of enjoyment of the artist, for the expression of the artist? Is it to entertain an audience? And then, of course, is it to make money? Is it to sell tickets? Is it um, to become famous? And we get a, a number of different kind of answers to that over the course of the movie, but I think a pretty consistent one. I wonder, as as you um, think about this movie on the kind of eve of its release on DVD, um, what what is the answer that you think you took away from who does Lydia Loveless make music for? You know, I I think it's but it's and I would say have the same answer for me is we you make these things first first and foremost for yourself. You have to be happy with them. Um, if in and I think that if you try to make a film that's going to please everybody, or if like she was to try to write a song that was going to please everybody, it would just fail. You know tremendously um and i mean i think you you basically have to go with your gut feeling and go with your passions and go with your emotions and create the art and hope that it's honest enough that it resonates with a lot of people um let's say uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the the challenges that lydia brings up over the course of the movie about being a a working musician and really a working artist mm-hmm. uh, in early 21st century america because i think that's something that after watching the movie last night, and I should say that I, I, you sent me a screener. You're very generous about that. I, um, for one reason or another, I couldn't get to it until about 1230 last night. But I put this movie on and I didn't blink until it ended. So kudos on making a movie that oh, I can you. watch from 12 to 2 in the morning without uh, falling asleep and also to be quite entertained by it. So so listeners, in case you're wondering when you can watch this, just about any time of day. But one of the central you know, theme or recurring themes is, you know, what is it that Lydia Loveless is facing on the road? She brings up the sexism of the music industry, uh, the boredom of, of touring and oh, of yeah. never quite being home. Um, when, you're, when you're driving through those states... The- Midwest, it's like you have no. I I hope that I tried to capture that because I'm just sitting in a van. There was one point where I would some I would alternate between being in their van or following in a car with my sound guy. And at one point, I'm just staring out the window and I see these cows running and playing in the field, and they look like they're chasing each other. And literally, it's like the highlight of the seven hour drive. And I'm literally about to go to text Lydia, and I get a text from Lydia saying, "Did you see the cows running?" <laughs> That's how boring it is. 
Okay. Right. Well, there was it. They were reading excerpts from uh, the Billy Idol's Billy Idol yes. <laughs> memoir. It's, it's in, anything in to keep voices. yourself yeah entertained. But so tell me about you know I listed a, a few: the boredom, the sexism, uh, the you know wanting to keep the set list changing each night, piracy. Tell piracy me about a few of the things that that resonate most with you as an observer, as a music lover, and as a filmmaker. Well, I mean, I, you know, I think that what I really try to show is something which we don't really see a lot of is how uh, the finances. I mean, you know, you're on the road, you have a, rec- a record deal with, a, you know, with a, a good medium-sized label, but still, you know, no one's getting rich off this, you know, I, and it's trying to, how do you stay on the road 200 days a year, and what do you, you know, like, do you need a part-time job when you get home? I mean, it's it's that whole balancing, balancing real life with doing this, mm-hmm. and the, and one of the big problems I have with, with piracy is a lot of times people don't think that, you know, music should just be free. It's like, okay, but this is a job for a lot of these people. Filmmaking is my job, you know? So when you download my film for free on some torrent site, you're basically, it's this, it's no different from literally coming up to me, taking my wallet out of my pants and pulling a couple of bucks out of my pocket. There is absolutely no difference. I mean, it'd be the same thing as if I just went into your house and said, hey, I'm just going to take some of these, you know, egos from your fridge. I hope you don't mind. You know, it's it's it is it is literally stealing. And unfortunately, in this climate, in in, in this day and age, you know, you don't have you don't uh, see that. I hope you realized you saw the little animation. And there's a great little animation oh, about piracy. Hipster girl there. being squashed. Yes, and that's the girl from NPR. Oh. I actually took her quote. Remember that woman who wrote from NPR who wrote the blog post about having uh, eleven thousand songs in her iTunes library and she never paid for one of them. Uh, that's she's represented in our film, and Lydia takes care of her <laughs> in classic Lydia fashion. Yeah. Um, but also, I think that it's important to note that Lydia isn't just, and she is a you know she comes from a long line of ranters. Yes, uh, however, awful. you know, legitimate the rants are. I mean, I don't mean that in a disparaging way, yeah. but she can when she's upset about something, she can really talk about oh, it yeah. in a passionate way, and she makes sure that you and that the audience knows that there's not much of a distinction between outright piracy and what happens on Spotify. Correct. And and right. I believe that the line was one of the most trenchant in the movie for me when she says, you know, everyone is making money off of music except for the musicians, mm-hmm. and that's I think when you're showing the Spotify playlist or right. so. Um, you know, the justification that I hear from a lot of people and that I unfortunately have used at times in, in uh, my more morally inconsistent is that, you know, I'll give money to the musicians when I see them live. They're mm-hmm. touring. They make money on concerts, on swag and all that stuff. Did you find that Lydia was, I mean, were people showing up to these shows? Was, oh, she, yeah. Make, yeah. was she able to make a living off of she, she's able to make the tour a living that you witnessed? It. Yes. And, uh, you know, and a big thing is, I mean, when you go see shows, buy merch. That's where the artist makes the most money, to be honest with you. Um, and, you know, I think that it's, 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 but it's still like squeaking by sort of, you know, I mean, because she's playing to houses with, you know, hundred to 200 people, you know, and, uh, but I mean, it's starting to get a little bit bigger. I mean, she's definitely doing, it's like in the two years since we filmed that, it's like the, the audiences have gotten bigger, you know? And that's, I and mean, one, we'll, maybe we'll talk a little bit later about how this fits into a larger context of rock documentaries that mm-hmm. you've made, but, and this is uh, as opposed to the movie about the replacements where we're focusing all on 
the uh, reactions of devoted fan members well after the band has disbanded. Although, who knows? Maybe they, they may be playing music now. I feel yeah. like they recently made a comeback tour. Uh, and same with the Husker Du documentary. You're talking with Grant Hart, kind of not at the kind of height of Husker Du's fame. Here, this is Lydia Lovelace, not necessarily at the height of her fame. She is starting out as right. a professional musician. Now, I think in the um, in our earlier interview, you said she was filling, you know, she was selling 250 tickets a show or something. Yeah, so she, yeah, you know, give her, she had reached a certain area. plateau, yeah. but. Um, this is very much a movie about art as blue collar work. And I wonder, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, this story is rooted in the Midwest. There are American flags all over this. Um, she talks about her father being a farmer and a preacher and, you know, having five or six different jobs besides. Uh, and the, I mean, the work, you talk about financing, but to me, it really, I mean, this movie is as much about the, like, the value that artists provide in a kind of more crass capitalist commercial society that um, that slaps a dollar value on everything, and if you know whatever has the highest dollar value is therefore worth the most. But I, I wonder, do you do you see this as a documentary about about blue collar work in some way as well? Did, did I, something I, about I think that's a really interesting way of putting it because it is. I mean, that's sort of you know they're in the you know lower echelon of the middle class in terms of a salary. You know, uh, they, they're from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, which is definitely sort of a grimy little Midwest industrial sort of town, um, you know. And and I I think that she's, but I, but I I do think. And you look at her audience. Her audience is a lot of older people. I mean, she's not she's not really singing to the millennials for some reason. I think. And and I honestly I hate saying it. I think because her lyrics are too real. I mean I mean you it you know it, it's not this generic crap you hear on the radio i mean you listen to a lydia song and you're like it doesn't remind you just of like a bunch of things it reminds you usually of one specific thing and it just rips you to shreds you know desire is like you know crazy you know the one about you know having an affair with a married man and waiting in a hotel and finding out that he's on vacation with his wife and you know uh that she's smoking in the last like you know uh smoking room in town and it's just you know it's to me that that song you just listen to and it's like this is ridiculously emotional and real. And, you know, I think that maybe that's something that most pop listeners sometimes forget is that country music is rooted in stories of uh, death and murder and, mm-hmm. and sex, right? So the, these topics are by no means unfamiliar to the genre, but there is something, there's nothing, um, well, maybe the, the sorrow is trumped by the defiance in her tone. And I think that, you know, some country music uh, kind of rests on the kind of, gentle morning kind of twang of it where she mm-hmm. is kind of right up front just kind of sho- shoving these issues in your face in the, yeah. in the best possible way um on stage you know let's we've been talking a little bit about the music let's hear uh, a little uh, a short clip uh from a song called more like them which is going to be featured on could you tell us where oh, this song on, is coming from on uh on uh today uh not only is the dvd being released as a standalone dvd with tons of extras there is also a record store day vinyl only 12 inch release called Live from the Documentary, Who is Lydia Loveless, which features six songs from a special show that we recorded at Scully's, uh, which is a bar in Columbus, Ohio. And the recording was uh, produced by her longtime producer, Joe Veers. The sound quality is astounding. And this band on this night was playing one of the greatest rock shows I've ever seen. And I've probably seen 10,000 rock shows in my life. So let's hear a little bit from More Like Them.
Welcome back to Deep Focus, a radio show about movies and New Haven. I'm your host, Tom Breen, and I'm talking with director Gorman Bouchard about his new movie, Who is Lydia Loveless, which is coming out on DVD today, Black Friday, November 24th, I believe is the day. Yes. Yes, if I remember what day is today, because we're talking <laughs> on the 24th, of course. Um, and that was a little bit from the uh, the vinyl that will also be coming out on Record Store Day uh, to celebrate the release of this movie. Uh, the song is called More Like Them, and is also featured in the movie Who is Lydia Loveless. Um, Gorman, we spoke a little earlier about how Lydia was 25 or a little under 25 at the mm-hmm. time that you followed her and her bandmates, including her husband, uh, mentions that Lydia was, is one of the most challenging people that he has ever worked with. Now you, as someone who has, you know, made a whole movie about Grant Hart is no, you know, you're no stranger to working with, you know, uh, notoriously difficult musicians, but I wonder what it was like for you to spend well first of all, how many how how long did you spend with her to make this movie and and what was that like was she one of the most challenging people you've ever worked with no i think she's a sweetheart um and i how much time did i spend with lydia wow total we and i mean well i'm, I'm in my head i'm probably com- confusing because she was we were also on the road for screenings um you know probably i probably spent a month or more with her. I mean, and she stayed at our house a couple of times. Ooh, and, could you get a bit closer to the mic? No, as well? And she stayed at our house a couple of times. And, you know, she's, I, I think she's just, I mean, she's funny. She's sarcastic. What you see is what you get. She can go on rants. Um, but uh, she's, uh, she's the best drinking buddy I, I've <laughs> ever had in my life. It's like, uh, I, that's the, it's the, the one thing I will say is like, I think our, we, there's a commentary on the movie on the DVD that we, the two of us do. I think it's really entertaining, but I don't remember any of it. Okay, we killed a bottle of bourbon. Uh, I remember she tweeted the next day from when she got home that she it was 6 o'clock the next day, and she tweeted that she was still drunk from recording the commentary. So it hopefully we didn't say anything really bad <laughs> well i think that if you did that would make lydia all the happier i believe she said there's one very brief scene in the movie in which she smiles and said i just said something offensive i feel a lot better now yes. so so i don't think that it would be inappropriate if that made it uh onto the movie um you uh you ask her you know point blank what is rock and roll towards the end of the movie and i don't want to you know for i want to encourage people to see the movie so i'm not going to give away word for word what responses are to any of these questions but it seems like you two have very, very similar understandings of what rock and roll should be. In fact, yeah. almost word uh, for word based on kind of previous conversations I've had with you. And I wonder, um, you've mentioned it needs to be kind of dangerous and unpredictable. Um, how how close is your understanding of rock with Lydia? Did she, I don't know, uh, inspire you to think about rock and roll in any different ways? Or was she just a confirmation of what is best in your mind to, for a genre that you're you know, well familiar with. I, I think she reaffirmed my faith in rock and roll because a lot of times you'll watch it and real rock and roll to me, what the replacements did, what Husker Du did, what the Clash did, um, you know, and, and, and a number of other bands, you know, in, in history as well, but has has sort of fallen by the wayside and become a little too, I don't know, PG or a little too... Uh, I, I like I'll go I'll go to like I remember when I went to see the replacements in Boston and there were all these bands that are really popular like uh, Twenty One Pilots and all I kept thinking was I'm seeing a Broadway show every single thing is choreographed they do I guarantee you they do this every night the crowd knows exactly how to react this is a this is Broadway this ain't rock and roll 
And so, you know, there, it has zero cred to me. And there was another band. It's the other band with the guy from Fun who's dating Lena Dunham, who's got weird hair. I don't know his name. Bleachers was the name of the band. Same. It's like I'm watching this going, this is like so ridiculously wimpy and lame. It's like there's no edge to it. There's no danger to it. Lydia, you go see Lydia, and it literally just confirms everything that I love about rock and roll. And it's, it is. It's that it's that chaos. I don't know what's coming next. I don't know what's going to come out of her mouth next. I mean, her little rants, you know, that which I, I did. I've done a number of, there are a number of them in the movie. Uh, you, you know, you know, like the one about the boyfriend who went into the mental institution, which I'm not, I can't, I probably can't repeat on the air. You probably can't repeat most of Lydia's rants on the air. <laughs> and yet she will gladly, you know, yes. say them in yes. public. Say. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's, it, there's, you know, it's just, it's, it's that you never know what you're going to get. And, but everything you get is wonderful. You know, you include a wonderful anecdote in uh, Color Me Obsessed about, a replacement show at the Grotto in New Haven that, again, was notoriously terrible, right? Mm-hmm. They, they didn't, they may not have played a single song or they, mid first song, they got in a, a drunken fight and then were pulled aside. And I've spoken with a few people um, who were in New Haven at the time who went to that show and could attest to how, how terrible it was. Um, and that certainly speaks to the unpredictability of right, a rock show. Right. Um, but there seemed to be something a bit more consistent about, and even stable about Lydia Lovelace than Paul Westerberg oh, and his crew. Absolutely, I don't think. Um, I, I mean, they get through the sets, <laughs> and um, you know, and and there's you know they 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 are just also. She's also playing with four ridiculous musicians. Todd May, Todd May is, is Todd May's guitar playing. I mean, is like just will just rip your heart to shreds ben on his stand-up bass is amazing jay gasper on pretty much every the steel guitar the 12 string it, the, the noise machines the pedals is just freaking brilliant and george just keeps the beat going they are a a wonderful group of musicians yeah and you know that is a key difference between lydia loveless and some of the other bands you've profiled is that this is very much Lydia Lovelace's band, right? Mm-hmm. She is the creative kind of epicenter of the group. And while she works with an incredible, you know, uh, supporting group of musicians, they all kind of defer to her as the yeah. one who's writing the music, it, who's expressing herself, that they're creating music to support her vision as opposed to the replacements or who's going to do where yeah. you have constant infighting between the members. And the other thing, too, is, is you in the film, you see a lot of her just doing solo songs. You know, like I love when she's just sitting on the floor of uh, it was Scott Hudson. That was my sound man's house. Uh, and, you know, and just picking up the guitar, the, the song that she wrote in the van that day, which plays over the, during my boring, the, my showing the boredom of the road section. And it's just like, and that's just been thrown away that you'll never hear that anywhere else other than there. But it's like, it's a beautiful, it's got a beautiful melody, great lyrics. And it's just, and you know, there aren't many scenes in the movie that show her, uh, more depressive side or mm-hmm. her, her self-critical side. I mean, there are plenty of, you know, people make plenty of allusions to how when she's down on something, she can be really down. I think that scene maybe captures the best where she's not even making eye contact with the camera, mm-hmm. I don't think, and she's disparaging of the song that she's about to share. Um, so I, I did, it, it's a short scene, but I think it um, helps kind of round out the character yeah. that, uh, that you've given us so much of in this movie. Um, I do, before we stop uh, talking about uh, who is Lydia Lovelace, I do want to ask you to share a few more thoughts about how her endeavor as a working musician parallels 
that of your own as an independent filmmaker has been you know making your own movies for for decades now and in particular this you know past decade or so has really been uh you've kind of recreated yourself as, as a rock documentarian and, mm-hmm. and documentarian in general um but again you you work on kickstarter a lot you do a lot of uh crowdsourcing uh did you see many parallels between what you try to do to create your art and what you know how lydia is trying to create hers you know, i think well in terms of the the perfectionism in a way, you know, but also knowing when to let go, but also that that, that struggle of tr- getting it out there, you know, um, you know, I mean, neither myself nor Lydia have the million dollars, you know, campaign, you know, not campaign, but really pu- publicity budget that, you know, that 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 a lot of artists have. So it's it's a lot of it is word of mouth. It's it's you know constantly staying on social media, engaging people as best you can. Um, and being on social media a lot can be ridiculously draining because there are also a lot of people, you know, there are also a lot of the haters on, on social media. So it's, you have to, you have to sort of walk that fine line. But I mean, I, I think that the one thing we both have in common is we both treat this very much as a job. This is what I do. You know, uh, I might not get up and go to an office, but you know, it's I put in. I mean, I personally probably put in about sixty to seventy hours a week, mm. you know, and work every. I mean, it's like people say it's like you're working on Sunday at midnight. And I'm like, oh, my wife went to bed. It's like, what else? What you know? What else am I going to do? Um, so yeah, so it, I think it's that you know. And the I mean, one other parallel that came to mind for me just watching it is how both of you have to rely on a small but dedicated and very capable team of supporters. Oh, absolutely. Um, in that I, there weren't more than five or six names in the credits of this movie. I mean, this this seems like a movie that was put together with not a lot of people, but I'm sure that you have a core group who you, you rely upon. It's the heavily. same group. Yeah, it's the same group for pretty much everyone. I mean, when you see one of the next films, uh, I'm making a documentary on a, a young musician out of Chapel Hill named Sarah Shook. And uh, her band, and uh, my God, there's even less people than that. Um, so, who is Lydia Loveless? Is, is coming out uh, today, uh, November 24th, Black Friday. Um, check it out on DVD, and check out the associate or the accompanying. Um, well, I, I guess you'd buy it separately, yeah. but there's a vinyl, there's a 12 inch yes. uh, of uh, some some concert audio. Uh, but that's not the only movie you have coming out today. Uh, no. So we, uh, I'm very happy to to bring up. A similar movie? No, maybe not. Maybe not the, at exact all. the exact opposite kind. Exact opposite. Tell, tell us about uh, Disconnected. Is that yes? The, uh, yes. Tell us about Disconnected. This is, uh, I guess, every Black Friday, uh, Vinegar Syndrome, which is this wonderful company out of uh, Bridgeport uh, that that uh, restores old horror films. Um, they put out a secret release. Well, mine is their secret release. It's my first film, Disconnected. It's never been available on DVD or Blu-ray or anything like that. It hasn't been out. Hasn't been available since VHS in probably the mid '80s. It we made it in the fall of '83. I think it originally came out in the summer of '84. Uh, and yeah, it it was a film. I was still in film school when I was making it. I remember you know using the uh, uh, Steenbeck editing machines because we shot it on sixteen millimeter. You know, at in the uh, at the New School for Social Research where I was taking my classes. But did you, is this set in Waterbury? Is this, this is all filmed pretty much in Waterbury. All look at my apartment. Carmine Capabianco is in it. He, his apartment. Um, he of Psychos in Love. He of Psychos uh, in Love. Collaboration. Yes. Which Vinegar Syndrome has also put yes, out. Yes, they put uh, that out in September. Um, yeah. And tell I, us a little bit, what's the, what's the bare bones plot? What's the, the bare movie? bones plot? This young woman 
uh, it, it's sort of a, a, a dual plot. So now I almost can't give it away because then it's sort of because there's a really big twist right in the middle of oh, it as opposed to the end. But it, it's maybe the setup to the twist. Yeah, it, it's there's a uh, serial killer in town, but there's also this young woman who's receiving these really weird and very disturbing sounds on her phone. And it's like, and that all comes together. I, it's it's very, it, it is really hard to explain now that I think about that. Wow, uh. this this sounds very topical to 2017. I feel like every other week there's some movie about uh, the challenges of texting or yeah, the well, yeah. haunted. This uh, is back when there were real phones, you know. Um, <laughs> not that I guess cell phones aren't real phones. And have, you know so I mean. for the restoration of this movie, have you been working with Vinegar Syndrome to no, provide I like them. They, they commentary? Do what, they're just doing it all. They do the print, yeah, and they you know, and there's a bunch when of extras. Last time you saw this. Uh, well, I just saw it recently because Carmen and I did a uh, 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 commentary. Yes. Um, and also, as an extra on this, is that movie 20 Questions, which played also at NH Docs this year, which 20 Questions is probably even more interesting for me <laughs> because 20 Questions would have been my first documentary made in 1986 or 7, and also in Waterbury. And it was made right after Psychos in Love, while we were waiting for Psychos in Love to be distributed. And after I made it and cut it, I ended up getting a four-picture deal from Empire Pictures, which to this day is probably the biggest mistake I've ever made by accepting it. But nonetheless, um, so this just sort of fell by the wayside. I thought I would never see this again. There were no prints of it that I thought, never found it. And when I'm looking for the uh, negative for Disconnected, I open a box, and there are the pristine three reels for 20 questions i had no idea what it was like sent it to them they said we'll put it on as an extra they sent me a really good version of it uh a a transfer of it and 20 questions is like a fascinating look at waterbury 1986 because it is 20 people from all walks of life each locked in a room for one roll of film so that means 11 minutes i literally turn the camera on and leave in front of them is a coffee table with 20 index cards numbered one through 20 on the back of each is a question they all have the exact same questions but they're all also these like really real distractions run. There's a there's a television monitor showing uh, violence and nudity and such. There's a television monitor with just showing all these random words. There's another television monitor when they turn to look at it, they actually just see themselves. There's a camera right on it, so they're just looking right at themselves. Uh, there's a Coke and a Pepsi. There's a smoking sign, a no smoking sign right next to an ashtray filled with cigarette butts. So there's all these weird distractions. There's magazines, newspapers, and it's what each of these people do in this room for that 11 minutes and it's all cut together and it's it's wonderfully weird i mean the re- the reaction at nh docs when we played it was great i was like really surprised at how good the reaction was i cannot believe i missed this at nh docs i will have to go out and get disconnected and then <laughs> check out the the bonus features uh, for for 20 questions what a fascinating yeah, so i guess i got i have i have i guess three movies coming out there's there's so much coming out on black friday it's it's, it's kind of funny um, who were the uh, people who uh, ended up in this locked room in Waterbury to answer the 20 questions? Are these friends of yours? Are these uh, no, the no. Street? It was from uh, a, uh, a young African-American girl who was in high school right up to an old retired, I believe he was a retired teacher, you know, uh, a cop, a, uh, a nurse, you know, I mean, just a wide variety of people. That's great. Wow. Um, I, I look forward to, to checking that one out. Um, and I, I want to, before we let you go, I, I want to ask you about any projects that you're you're currently working on. I know there are always a number of them. Yeah, we've got, we've what, got, what can you talk uh, about? Yeah, we've got five talks right now in the in the in various 
post-production for the most part phases. Uh, the first one is the, the one that'll be finished first is, uh, um, what it takes, which is a documentary on Sarah Shook, a musician from, um, from Chapel Hill, or, well, from Pittsburgh, North Carolina, but Pittsburgh is just a small town outside of Chapel Hill. Um, again, a very different film from Lydia. I tried to come up with, I always try to come up with different takes on films. And in this one, my, my, my editing inspiration was uh, Jean-Luc Godard's Fever Savi. So I literally tell how that is, uh, is film on deuce tableau, a film in 12 chapters. I do the exact same. It, uh, the legitimate title is what it takes colon film on deuce tableau. So I literally, so people know exactly what they're getting into and it's <laughs> jump cuts and it's very whimsical. And I was just trying to do something different. Can I th- just very quickly, I, re- I wanted to say one of my favorite shots or one of my favorite moments in Lydia Loveless is when you're tracking the development of a song desire, mm-hmm. I believe. Yes. And, and we go through maybe five stages of development from, yeah. you know, scribbling on a notepad to testing out with the band, uh, so on and so forth. But maybe my, my favorite cut in the movie is when we go from, her in the recording studio to singing live. one verse desire to live on That's stage, my favorite which cut is in just the film. a jump. Cu- oh my goodness. It's so seamless. It really, it's, it's shocking. And the quality of her voice barely changes mm-hmm. in between what she's doing in the studio and what she's doing on stage. It's really funny. You say that. I'm uh, not joking. I've said to other people that that's my all time favorite cut in every film I've ever made. <laughs> I, wow. That you picked that one out that yeah. from, cause it literally, and it just, it explodes when it goes on stage. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. you know, th- this Lydia Loveless, um, it doesn't spend too much time with audiences at the concerts, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was an interesting decision. I, I think it makes sense to me that you're very interested in her experience on stage. What she's sharing. What I she's don't doing. usually do that. I, I try to stay. And it's, if you notice, I don't, unlike a lot of rock docs, I don't go and like there's David Grohl is not in the film saying that Lydia Lovelace is the most, if there would have been no Nirvana without Lydia Lovelace, he's not in the film saying that <laughs> though. If he had said that, I would have put him in the film. I, I actually would have, but I don't, I, I'm not a big fan of those. I don't need Henry Rollins telling me this person's important. I don't need this stuff. I just, I find that just boring to me. Yeah. I I want to, I want to know what Lydia has to say. I don't want to know what people have to say about Lydia. Yeah, well, I mean... Same thing with Sarah. Yeah, and so so we have this documentary about Sarah Shook. What, yep. uh, what are the other, well, other uh, four? Well, the other four, <laughs> let's see. The next one will probably be done, oh, it will probably be, um, I'm hoping it's Pizza Love Story, which is a documentary on Sally's Peppies and Modern, the only three pizza places on the planet. Uh, there are other pe- there are, people think there are other pizza places on the planet. There aren't. You told me about a pizza place on the planet of oh, Camden yes. that you said was quite good. Old world it's, pizza. It's, but it's 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 to me it's sort of modern light. Uh. So I, I I kind of just it's sort of just like it's like modern, and then there's like it's it's there's just like a little like asterisk next to it. But that's pretty much it. Well, yeah. we will definitely. If, if you're up for it, I'd love to have you on for another episode about Pizza Love oh, Story, since that is such a New Haven story. Yeah. So, Pizza yeah. Love Story, and then uh, uh, Normal Valid Lives, which is about this horrible case of LGBT bullying uh, in a uh, in the school district north of Minneapolis. Plus, we're doing another music doc called uh, Where Are You, Jay Bennett, which about the genius guitar player, co-songwriter of Wilco's three seminal albums being there, Summer Teeth and Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, and then how he was tossed from the band. Uh, and while Wilco goes on to a lot of, of you know fame, and I love Wilco. I mean, I've seen Wilco 60 times. I, I, I adore Wilco. But I, I, those are the three records to me that really speak to me. I mean, they're like, they're like Revolver Rubber Soul and the White Album. I mean, they're that kind of quality. Uh, 
And uh, not to be a little starstruck, but will you be interviewing members of Wilco for this movie? I don't know. We're working on it. Okay. We're working. I mean, we've got a lot of good interviews so far. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, so just telling the story because I mean, his story ends it ends up instead of becoming a millionaire like the guys in Wilco, he puts out a couple of very good but solo albums that don't really sell, and unfortunately ends up dying of an overdose from uh, a you know a, 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 a fentanyl patch. Because he was he was needed a hip replacement surgery, he couldn't afford it. He was selling all of his gear to try to get the surgery, and the patch leaked. And uh, yeah, and then the other one is my happy animal documentary. <laughs> um, because I one of the things I learned with a dog named Gucci is everyone I would be at film festivals and be like, oh, I really want to watch your film, but I can't, I can't. And I'm like, why? And it's like it's going to make me cry. And I'm like, I really and I held back on Gucci. There's very little violence or anything, uh, gross pictures in Gucci. Um, and so I decided what, for the next one, I was going to make a happy animal film and, uh, it's called seniors. And it is just basically about these amazing senior dogs from chaser, who is the border college. It's the smartest dog on the planet that knows over like 1100 words has been on Anderson Cooper to this place in, uh, just outside of Nashville called the old friend senior dog animal sanctuary, where it is a place where senior dogs can go to retire. They will foster out dogs to families pay the medical bills for the rest of the dog's life. And it is just the, the most amazing place in the world. It's like, there are no cages. It's every, every dog has his own little, like almost like a little apartment with like the little dogs have little couches. The big dogs have big couches. It's, it's the greatest place. There I is. already feel better you know, about myself, you know, about the world. And, and the thing is in that place is where I saw the eclipse. <laughs> it was at a hundred percent. So I watched the eclipse with 115 Senior dogs. Oh, my goodness. It was great. It was wow. great. Um, and then you woke up and realized it was all a dream. Yeah, it oh. wasn't. No, it was real. That was the, you know, And, uh, you know, it was like, though in my head, they were all wearing glasses and standing up, but they really weren't. But I like to picture it out of my head. I might, maybe I, actually, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do an animated thing of that for the film. You heard um, it here first. first. Yeah. And, uh, and the fifth one. Yeah. And then, so uh, that that's the fifth film. Oh, yeah. that's the fifth one. Got yeah. it. Um, and yeah, it's it's seniors. And it's just a lot of, and we also, the, yes. other, the other story in there is you also follow uh, photographer Jane uh, uh, Klonsky, who uh, did an amazing book uh, on senior dogs. And we actually, she actually films Chaser, and she films Leo, who's the sort of rock star of senior, the senior dog sanctuary. And, uh, and, and she, her specialty is filming people with their elderly dogs. So it's sort of just this heartwarming story. And if our listeners uh, want to uh, remember or learn about or watch eventually all of these wonderful movies that you've spoken about, where can they? Uh, I, do you honestly, have a, a? Is there a website? That there's a website. Was a Facebook we, page? That people uh, can what were we thinking? Films is probably the easiest, which has links you to everything. What were we think, think? What were we thinking? Films dot com. Why we? Why, when we started <laughs> this company, the joke was, oh, it's only going to be around for a couple of years. No big deal. We were making You Are Alone, our first indie film, two thousand and four. And of course, now we're stuck with the company name. And I think so. The rule of that: if you're starting a company, don't spend time coming up with a great name. Pick a crappy name, and you'll be around forever. If you come up with a really great name, you're going to fail. So just so you know this, this um, I feel like I'm back in Who Is Lily Loveless. Here's some practical advice <laughs> for practical advice. working Come up with a filmmakers. crappy name that you're going to be regretting <laughs> ten years from now, but your company will be doing that. Well, um, and the other thing is, honestly, you can just Google, put my name right. into Amazon, and all the films will come up. You can get the DVDs. Most of them are streaming on Amazon Prime. You can find me on Amazon easily. Well, we have a number of movies coming out on Black Friday, November 24th, including Who is Lydia Loveless? 
uh, and Disconnected, which includes a special feature of 20 questions. But you can find links to all of the movies that we spoke about today and to whatwerewethinkingfilms.com uh, at deepfocusradio.com, uh, where you can find over two years of conversations about movies and New Haven. Uh, Gorman, thank you for sharing this movie with us. Thanks for coming on to talk about Lydia Lovelace and look forward to uh, seeing the 5, 10, 15 movies that are coming up soon. <laughs> thank you very much.